0: The Supreme Court is expected to end affirmative action in college admissions next month. And it's got advocates questioning how students from marginalized communities will be considered for schools that give preference to children of alumni. Education reform advocates are pushing for institutions to drop admissions policies that help children of alumni. But changing a college tradition that goes back a century, that's easier said than done. So we're joined now by WBEZ Education reporter Lisa Phillip. Welcome back.
1: Thanks for having me, Sasha.
0: So, yeah, a lot of these growing concerns uh, on legacy admissions, it's it's surrounding this upcoming Supreme Court decision, right? So That's give right, us the yeah. latest on that.
1: Yeah, so they're expected to rule in June, and a lot of people, many, many people are predicting that they will ban the the consideration of race in college admissions, mm-hmm. which we're just waiting to see kind of like the the degree to which that kind of stands, what kind of implications that will have for admissions going forward. Yeah.
0: Well, what's the relationship between legacy admission of alumni kids and admitting marginalized communities? Yeah. What's happening there?
1: It's a pretty interesting history. So about 100 years ago, because of the introduction of like standardized testing into the admissions process, more um, Jewish and immigrant students were starting to apply to Ivy League colleges, which... Had these leaders thinking, like, how do we keep our campuses white and wealthy um, and and just the way they've been? And a really good way of doing that was by giving preference to family members or especially children of graduates of their schools Mm -hmm. to just keep that the keep the campus in the family. Keep it going. Yeah, yeah. So this has been going on for a long time, it sounds like, this practice. Yeah, 100 years, at least I think, you know, a lot of the Ivy League schools. And then it expanded to a lot of other schools as well uh, up to, you know, even some public universities had – had, like, U of I used to practice this up until about 10, 15 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Tell us more about what it looks like, legacy
0: admissions here in the Chicago area.
1: Yeah, here in the Chicago area. So the the two, you know, most well-known schools and the most selective schools, especially in terms of, you know, these are schools that are letting in fewer than 10% of students are Northwestern and University of Chicago. And this is, you know, according to data, they self-report, They both consider alumni relationships in their – whether or not applicants have these. Mm -hmm. And they kind of weighed on the same level um, of race uh, according to what they've self-reported. Interesting. Yeah,
0: it is. So what are people who are – for legacy admissions, what are they saying is the thought behind keeping this going?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's the argument that this is a way of building community amongst both of their both their alumni and their graduates and kind of keep establishing keeping this multi-generational family. Yeah, the the president. Building
0: community between alumni and the graduates. I mean, you're already related. Right? yeah so, that's
1: a good point, I right. yes, yes, and yeah, you know, like you're already a community coming yeah, in, yeah, the President of Duke actually like described it as like we're building a family, and you know, to which a lot of critics have said, universities aren't families, like <laughs> what's up with that right
0: that is <laughs> that is a very interesting argument there, so, so how much influence? do you think alumni have at the admissions level? Sounds like a yes, lot.
1: Such an interesting question. I mean, you it,
0: said they're weighing it sort of the same as race.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to know exactly how much it, it it is a factor because one of the things about this, one of the mysteries around this is schools aren't required to report like the number of applicants who are legacy students that are admitted um, or like their demographics. So... But we do have some data that um, was revealed through a lawsuit against Harvard. And, I mean, legacy students had a clear um, uh, clear advantage in the admissions process. Mm-hmm. They were being admitted at a higher rate. Um, one of the most interesting stats, I think, out of that is that um, legacy students were – or legacy applicants were being um, admitted twice as often or had – More than twice of a chance of getting in than students from low income families, which who were, and all of these students were at the same academic level. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's so plain to see for me, but I mean, do universities stand to lose anything by just getting rid of this preference for legacy status? Like, why keep this around if it's causing
1: such a divide? Yeah. I mean, I really wanted to get (laughs) local universities on the record. Telling me, you know, what are their reasons for keeping this in place? Um, but University of Chicago and Northwestern declined interview requests. But like, you know, I think some of the arguments I've heard from other presidents, other university leaders is that, um, well, they may stand to lose alumni donations, which a lot of people ah. have come back and said like, oh, but like these alumni donations are a drop in the bucket when you're talking about s- universities like University of Chicago and Northwestern both have endowments that are larger than $10 billion. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about alumni contributions that largely are probably like $100 a year, you know, it's it's hard to say whether that would make a big dent if they were to lose this policy. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we're
0: talking about legacy students in college admissions and what that looks like here in Chicago. Uh, With the upcoming Supreme Court decision that's expected to ban affirmative action and race-conscious admissions, colleges are also grappling with legacy policies that further exclude marginalized communities from accessing some of these institutions. And we're talking with WBEZ education reporter Lisa Phillip. So, Lisa, let's dig into some more of your reporting here. You talked with uh, advocate James Murphy He's with the nonprofit education reform, now let's hear a bit of.
1: of that. There are these tips or tiebreakers that push you into a category, right? In, in the same way, like once you're in this pool of hyper-competitive, super-qualified students, any one little thing can make all the difference in the world. It doesn't come down to like are people who aren't qualified getting in through legacy. It's is legacy a good way to break a tie? right? Is legacy a good way to decide between two incredibly qualified, super talented students?
0: So I want you to just walk us through what he's saying there, because that's 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 a lot. Uh, let's say the, the admissions committee has reached a tie between two qualified students, right? One's a legacy and one is not. What goes into breaking the tie?
1: Yeah, so once they sort of look past like transcripts, high school transcripts, standardized test scores, even extracurriculars. Like you might, like Murphy says, you know, you might still have like five, six, seven students vying for one spot. So admissions, um, you know, application readers have to start looking at things. And and some of them like relate to institutional priorities like race. You Mm -hmm. know, a lot of a lot of universities have said it's part of our mission to make our campus more representative. So one of the things they'll weigh is race. But they're also looking at things like, are you related to an alumni? Um, some schools weigh things like geographical diversity. Like, are you from a state like Montana or, you know, Wyoming or a rural part of the country that's underrepresented? But it, different schools weigh these on different levels. Um, so, so what's Murphy recommending then? So he's saying, you know, at the very least... Uh, schools that receive federal funding so like through like the Pell Grant for low-income students like at the very least they should have to report the number of legacy applicants they're admitting and the demographics there Um, you know there's also proposed legislation to ban legacy um, legacy admissions but you know he's very it's very interesting because he's optimistic that a lot of selective universities will just drop this on their own and these measures won't be necessary. It's
0: twenty twenty three. I mean I I hope he's right. You also talked with Alex Seaskin, who's director of the To and Through Project. That's an education research group at UChicago. Let's hear a bit of that. By design, it's meant to keep the students at an institution as static because it's trying to draw explicit connections between generations of students that go back to times when there were more explicit policies about who could and who couldn't access selective colleges. If we care about closing the racial wealth gap, then we have to look at who is admitted to our most selective higher education institutions. Because getting access to those institutions is the most, uh, you know, is the clearest pathway we have in our society to becoming wealthy. Yeah, so Alex gets back to some of the fundamentals you and I have been discussing, right? What is the responsibilities of the universities uh, to maintain this static student
1: population versus progress, equity? it i think it depends on who you ask but like publicly these universities have made a big deal about moving towards equity and inclusivity um you know like northwestern and new chicago have both expanded their um need-based financial aid programs to try to get more representation onto campus they've obviously like considered race too and even with all of that um they haven't made much progress by way of bringing underrepresented groups onto campus like both of their student popul- their black student populations are around 6% um, and that's you know maybe gone up by a percent or two in the past decade so you know i think because they they are talking about this so much publicly i think a lot of people would argue yeah. they they have the responsibility to look at policies like this of course you know admissions Directors aren't necessarily the ones who are holding on to these policies. And like there has been a survey of admissions directors and most of them don't like legacy admissions Mm. because it makes their job of making the campus more representative, extremely difficult to have this sort of priority. But then you have, you know, the president, you have boards of trustees who are largely alumni Mm -hmm. um, and so they may have different priorities, and there are also, you know, there's I that see. fear of backlash from the alumni community um, who kind of they they want their children to get special consideration. Yeah. <laughs> so, so make this crystal clear for us. In an yeah. ideal world,
0: what do advocates want admissions to look like for for these highly selective universities?
1: Yeah they they want them. Well, they would say fair, but of course, what they mean by that is they want them to be considering factors that actually bring more underrepresented minorities onto campus, especially, like, Black and and Latino students and first-generation students. Yeah. Because, you know, for historic, for systemic reasons, these students have been inc- excluded from cam- right. campus, right? So, you know, affirmative action was initially envisioned as a form of, like, reparations and getting more Black students onto campus. Um, and I think... Uh, Ideally, advocates would like to see that continue in some way, but Mm -hmm. if you can't consider race in college admissions, that's gonna that's gonna really handicap. And when should
0: we expect something else from uh, the Supreme Court decision?
1: So the decision will uh, probably come down in June, and you know, I know that admissions officers have been likely been preparing for what a world might look like without being able to consider race. I know that people have looked at. Can we use, you know, socioeconomic status as a proxy for race? And people have done research that shows it's not it's not a substitute. Not but, possible. Yeah. You know, I, it will be an interesting world to to behold and to, to yeah. see what
0: happens afterwards. Yeah. That's Easy education reporter Lisa Phillip. Thanks for the update.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.